Let's go to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to read... Let's do verses... Let's just read, start in verse 6 and read to the end real quick. Then we'll get into it. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second angel, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured in full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud And seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. And that's actually somewhere around around 200 miles is what that is. All right. So basically what we're getting into here tonight is that there have been a series of visions that God has, or Jesus has given John. And again, we go back to Revelation chapter 1, and it was for the purpose of showing His servants the things that must take place soon. So ultimately, God wants the people that serves Him 
to know the things that are going to take place soon. And this is the reason why He's giving them these visions. Now, I don't necessarily mean that everything that we're reading is in chronological order. So I don't want you to think just because we read one part that the next part is in chronological order. But there are a series of visions that He's given that I believe fit into the context of what He's seeing right here. And so like for instance, um, I told you last week that whenever we were studying Revelation chapter 6, and we got to the part to where um, all the seals had been opened except the seventh. We got to the sixth seal, and when the sixth seal was opened, literally all the heavens were flying down to the earth. Stars, asteroids, I mean, they were, they were basically destroying the earth. And people were fleeing to the mountains, begging the mountains to hide them, the rocks to fall on them and hide us from the wrath of Him, the Lamb who sits on the throne. And so what we see in that is that things were getting so bad that the question came up in John's mind, who could possibly stand through this? I mean, this has got to be the end, right? Because no one could survive this. And then God shows him a vision. And in Revelation chapter 7, He puts an interlude in between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, where the seventh seal opens up seven trumpet judgments. But he puts an interlude in there and he shows him this is who is going to be able to stand through it. And namely, I'm going to mark 144,000. I'm going to mark them on their foreheads with my name so that nothing can harm them. And so they are going to come through the other side. And that's one of the visions we get previously. We studied it last week in the first few verses of chapter 14. Is basically we come to another interlude to where he, some of the same questions are asked. Um, how in the world is anybody going to make it through this? And then in chapter 14, we get an interlude with some visions that show us these are who is going to be able to make it through it. The 144,000. Also, whenever we get tonight to this part where we're looking at these three angels that are flying in the sky and they are preaching the gospel is what they're doing. And this is just a an answer to the question of, is anybody else going to be able to make it through this? Who else is going to be able to stand? We understand the 144,000 Jews, but is that it? And the answer to that is no. There are going to be other people that are going to be saved. God has just continuously over and over and over again tried to give people the opportunity to be saved. And yet the pride of soul of man is so thick that there are many that refuse to repent and refuse to give glory to God, refuse to turn to Him. And you know, that we, I know this is hard to understand whenever we read this because you would think to yourself, wouldn't you think if you were in this and you were going through all this and you saw all this, wouldn't you think that you would be smart enough to say, okay, maybe I need to make some changes in my life. The end is coming. Things are not right. But yet, you're failing to realize just how thick the pride of man is. Do you really understand how bad your pride is? I mean, come on. I mean, we are prideful people. I mean, most of us are too prideful to even apologize for something that we've done, right? And so, we've got people here that their pride is so thick that basically no matter what comes their way, 
for God to try to turn them around, the only thing that happens is their heart just gets harder and harder and harder. And they continue to refuse to give God glory and refuse to to repent of their sins and turn to Him. So the question we have to ask in tonight's message is, do we interpret this literally? During this time, is there literally going to be three angels flying overhead preaching the gospel to mankind? Because in my mind, if I saw an angel flying through the sky preaching a gospel, I don't know how anybody could refuse that in my mind. All right? So we have to ask the question is this meant to be interpreted? Literally, or is this meant to be interpreted metaphorically? And the answer to that is, I don't know. (laughs) I tend to interpret this literally. And the reason I do that is because I believe that for the most part, the Bible is meant to be interpreted literally unless it specifically gives us reason to interpret it metaphorically. Does that make sense? Like for instance, whenever the Old Testament was waiting on the Messiah, and um, they were waiting on a king to come, all right? They were waiting on the seed of David to rise to the throne that's going to reign eternally, and Israel is going to become uh, the greatest nation again. They were literally waiting on a king to come, right? And did a king come? Yes. What about Isaiah when he interpreted that um, um, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son? If you were in the Old Testament before that ever happened, would you have looked at that and went, okay, we have to interpret that metaphorically because can a virgin have a baby? You see what I'm saying? But yet, was it literal or was it not? So as impossible as it sounded, the fact of the matter was, This is the way that God was going to do it. When they talked about a resurrection from the dead, um, many of them would have looked at that and said, okay, we, we need to interpret this metaphorically, not literally, because people don't rise from the dead. All right? Dead is dead. And so we would have, we would have thought things like that. But the whole of the Old Testament, for the most part, unless it specifically tells us to interpret it metaphorically, for the most part, We interpret the Bible literally, right? And so I tend to take this as very likely... Now again, there are some that interpret this and say, okay, this is just talking about the the airwaves in the sky and the gospel is going to be proclaimed through satellites and through... Is that a possibility? Well, yeah, it's a possibility. I can't say it's not. But I do believe that we would be wise tonight to not just write it off and say, well... There's not literally going to be an angel flying overhead preaching the gospel. No, I believe during this time, if God decides that one of the ways... Remember, God has been doing everything He's doing to get people to repent and turn to Him, right? And this is the reason why He sends this angel. You're going to see it in a minute. He's flying overhead and He's preaching an eternal gospel to the people. And He's trying to cry out to people to get them to turn from their sin and turn to God. And so God has been over and over and over again with His hands out to people, to sinners like you and me, saying, come to me and I will save you. 
And He's been showing them what they need to be saved from. If anybody ever knows they need to be saved, don't you think it's this group that's living in this time? They know they need to be saved. And so, to me, this is very likely that it is a literal angel that is flying overhead and God is preaching this gospel to them. He's already sent two witnesses back in Revelation chapter 11, I believe it was. Back in Revelation chapter 11, He sent two witnesses that went around and preached the gospel and they were um, breathing fire out of their mouth and and they, they were... Um, shutting the sky so that they couldn't rain. They were calling fire down from heaven. They were, they were performing all types of signs and wonders. Then we also learned in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist and his false prophet are also going to be performing such great signs that they're going to deceive a big part of the world, right? And so I would say that during this time, there are going to be some extraordinary supernatural events that are taking place that even though in today's time we read it and go, okay, there's not literally going to be three angels flying overhead preaching a gospel. I don't think so. I think that we could definitely look at the rest of it and say, it is very likely and very possible that when we read this, that we can interpret it literally. And that it very well could be that this is another extreme that God goes to to try to get people, or I ain't going to say God's trying. If God wants to do something, He does it. But to, to preach the gospel to, to the world. And so let's start in verse 6 and let's just go through it and see what we see about these three preaching angels. And this is a vision, I believe, of mercy. The first vision in verses 1 through was a vision of triumph. And so basically, I believe that's like chapter 7. God's answering the question, is anybody going to survive through this? And then He gives the answer in verses 1 through 5. And then in verses 6 through 13, I believe what we're seeing here is a vision of mercy. And the purpose of it, according to verse 12, what's the purpose of this vision for us? Cool. That's right. And so the, the purpose of us seeing this vision is so that we continue to... It's supposed to give us encouragement to keep enduring um, uh, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I believe that we have to look at this as a vision of the mercy of God just being continuously displayed over and over. And then here it is again in verse uh, 6 through 13. So let's start in verse 6 and let's see what we come up with. So then I saw another angel. And basically, I told you last week, the reason he says another angel is because we've been reading about the, the trumpet judgments, right? That's what we've been... We've already went through the seven seals. And when we opened the seventh seal, the seventh seal contained in it seven trumpet judgments that rolled out of it. And so every trumpet that was blown, there was an angel that blowed the trumpet that called for whatever judgment was being poured out at the call of that trumpet. And so here we have not just another angel blowing a trumpet, but now he sees another angel. This angel's not blowing a trumpet. But instead, this angel is flying directly overhead. So when John looks up, he literally sees an angel flying overhead. And he says he's flying with an eternal gospel 
to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, to every tribe, to every language, and every people. So, who is this for? Is there anybody left out? God is going to make sure that there is nobody that does not hear the gospel, right? Now, if you got a a, a bush people in um, where Africa, wherever, there you go. If you've got a bush people in Africa that have never heard the gospel before in their life, are they going to be able to miss an angel flying overhead? to every people, every tribe, and every nation. It's not, it's not, that's another reason why I believe that we can take this literally here. And so he's flying overhead, and notice that he is proclaiming an eternal gospel. What does it mean to proclaim something? Basically shout it from the mountaintops, right? Hear ye, hear ye! Their job was to proclaim and so this, this angel is going throughout the entire world and he is proclaiming an eternal gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good tidings. I've got good news. So this angel is not just trying to bring judgment. All the other angels have been pouring out the judgment of God. This angel's not doing that. This angel is proclaiming, I've got good news. And let me ask you something. Is anybody in the world at this time going to be looking for good news? <laughs> Why? Why would they be looking for good news? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. It cannot get any worse than what they're dealing with at this time period. And so, good news? Wouldn't you think they want to hear good news? And so he says he, he's proclaiming an eternal gospel. Not just, not just temporary good news. Eternal. Good news. And then in verse 7, we go a little bit further. And it says, And he said with a loud voice. So here's the eternal gospel that he proclaimed with a loud voice. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. So before we finish it, what is the message that this gospel is proclaiming? That's right. In other words, you ought to see the fear of God in everything that you're seeing all around you right now. If you're going to fear something, fear God who is in control of all this. Fear God. And, and then notice what he said next. Give Him glory. Why? The time has come. What do you think he's saying right here? We're fixing to have the seventh trumpet blown. And in the seventh trumpet, there are seven final bowls of judgment that are literally poured out onto the earth, one right after the other. Rapid fire. No time left. I'm talking about probably day to day, these are, are poured out. In other words, this is your last chance. There will be no other opportunities. Now is your time. If you don't fear God and you don't give Him glory now, eternally you are going to experience even worse than what you're dealing with right now. So 
Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of the sea. And so what we see here is again, this is the last opportunity that anybody on earth will have to turn. After these angels get done with their message, there is not going to be any more opportunity for anyone to be saved until, God, until Jesus comes and wipes out all the evil and they go into the millennial kingdom. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. God is reaching out to everyone, everywhere, and He is going to make sure that no one will have an excuse. Anybody that denies Him from here on out, they will never be able to stand before God and say, I didn't have an opportunity to receive your mercy. I didn't have an opportunity to receive your grace. Yeah, you did. You did. I made sure of it. It's what it'll be. This is the same gospel that has always been preached. Look with me at um, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to look at several scriptures tonight. Look at Romans chapter 1. And actually, we'll start in verse 18 so that you can see that this is the same thing that, that we've been going through, but we've only experienced a small glimpse of His wrath. They are experiencing it in a greater manner than what we've ever experienced it. But in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, listen to what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We hold it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Now that's important, because He's going to mention again in Revelations, He said... Worship Him who made the heavens, who made the earth, who made the seas, who made the springs of the sea. In other words, the Creator of all. You know who He is. You see Him. And then notice what it says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 20, Romans 1. So they are what? Without excuse. Without excuse. And then look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So now go back again, just hold your place, or go back to Revelation chapter 14 and look again at what He said. In verse 7 of Revelation 14, He says, Fear God and give Him glory. What did they refuse God in Romans chapter 1? They refused Him honor. They refused Him glory. We, let me say we, not they. We refused Him honor. We refused Him glory. Instead, we wanted to worship the created instead of the Creator. And we refused Him worship. And we did not look at the wrath of God that was being revealed all around us. Because every one of you experienced the wrath of God in some way. And instead of looking at that wrath and it turning us to Him... We suppress the truth about who He is, even though it was clear to us through creation. Are y'all tracking with me? And so here this angel steps up again. 
just like has always been preached. And he says, fear God. Look at the wrath all around you. And let it lead you to fear Him that if you don't turn from, from your sin and you, don't, and you don't begin to follow Him through Jesus Christ, if you think this wrath is bad, you don't have a clue what's coming. And so he says here, fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of the water. Now go with me to uh, Revelation chapter 9 verse 20. Look at another Scripture that supports this. Revelation 9 verse 20. This is after the the plagues had been opened up in the fifth and sixth trumpet, I believe. The plagues had been opened up. And then notice what the result of it in verse 20 is. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immoralities, or their thefts. And so ultimately, the point of all of these plagues was what? What was the point in them? That's right. So that people would recognize it and repent. Listen, here's the thing that we need to understand. Repentance is not an option. Repentance is a requirement. Now yes, I understand we're saved by faith alone. Alright? I get that. But don't get it twisted that faith without works is what? Dead. Genuine faith will always result in a changed mind and a turned life every time. And so what we need to understand is that the same gospel that's being preached in Revelations by these angels is the same gospel that John the Baptist started preaching with. You remember what John the Baptist's message was? Go with me to um, um, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Let's see what John the Baptist's message was. Because he was the precursor, the the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Well, hang on, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong one. But we can at least look at this one anyway, because this uh, this was Jesus' message. You know what, go with me to Matthew. That's a good one, but go with me to Matthew. This is a better one. Matthew chapter... Let me find it. Matthew chapter 3. Let's start in verse 2. Or in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And in verse 2, what was his message? What was the gospel? Repent. Why? Same thing. Repent. The judgment of God has come. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse um, 17. Let's see what Jesus' message was. Now this was Jesus' first message that He ever preached after His baptism. 
after he came out of the wilderness. When he came out of the wilderness, this was his message that he preached in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying what? Why? So what is the message of the gospel? There you go. Don't miss it. (laughs) Don't miss it. You got so many people today that think the message of the gospel is believe. You know how many people believe? You know how many people are going to say to Him when they stand before Him in heaven and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many wondrous things in Your name? And what does He say to them? See, it's not just about a false sense of belief. Even the demons believe, right? And they tremble. It's about a full assurance of belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that it changes your mind. It turns you away from a sinful life and it points you toward Jesus and it puts you in war with your sin. That's what the gospel message is. And so what we have in this is the same thing. Go with me now to Revelation chapter 11. So you can see that all this matches up. Chapter 11, verse um, 13. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified, and because of their fear, what happened? So again, everything God ever does with His wrath, is it just because God wants to kill some people? God is trying to show people this is the result of being in rebellion to your Creator. This is the only result of being in rebellion and continuing in this rebellion to your Creator. Your hope is repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And so let me look at a few more scriptures. Look at Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16, let's start in verse 9. This is when the bold judgments are being poured out. Actually, start at verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched with fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. Go down with me to verse um, 11. Start Start in verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. And then, of course, go with me to one last one, to verse 21. In in same chapter. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, I got caught in a hailstorm here at the church the other night. I pulled in the parking lot to try to get away from it because it was I couldn't see in front of me. It was that bad. And I pulled into the parking lot right here and I stayed for just a, probably 30 seconds 
because I could see a break in the clouds right through there. And I thought, I got to get out of this. And so I got back out on the road and I took off. Now them hell, them hailstones were maybe, maybe a dime to a nickel size, but they were beating the fool out of my car. I can't imagine a hundred pound stones of hell. But great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And notice what happened. They cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe. So here, here's the point. Going back, and I could go on and on and on, but I won't for sake of time. The point is that this, God in everything that He is doing is reaching out to mankind to say, I am trying to show you a glimpse of what it looks like to remain in rebellion to your Creator. And you can either continue to refuse to repent and continue to love your sin and love the things of the world, or you can see me for who I am, quit suppressing the truth, as Romans chapter 1 said, honor me, glorify me, worship me. The choice is yours. And so here we have this angel that's flying overhead trying to get people and give them their last chance to be able to um, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at um, the Revelation 14. We're going to go to the second angel. Revelation 14 verse 8. And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And so, what's happening here? The first angel had what message? The gospel, the good news. The judgment of God has come, but if you turn away from it, you can be saved, right? What message does this angel following behind him have? Okay, you're you're right. I, I I would say that this is a this is a message that basically declares this is what the future of sin looks like. In other words, if you want to continue to refuse to repent, if you want to continue to, to refuse to give God glory, if you want to keep living for the world, you need to understand something. This whole world system—that's what Babylon is is the world system, and I'll show you that with some Scriptures here in a minute. But this whole world system that you're chasing after, that you're following, it's fallen. It's fallen. And it is going to crumble into complete destruction. And anybody that continues to follow this system, you are going to drink of the same cup of wrath of God in full power that this world system is going to be is already drinking of when they're here, and it will continue to drink of. So, look at a few scriptures with me. Uh, look with me, if you would, at uh, Revelation chapter sixteen, verse nine. You already saw this once, but um, I'm sorry, maybe it wasn't sixteen. Hang on, I wrote the wrong scripture down. Maybe it was seventeen nine. No, wasn't seventeen nine. Let me look at eighteen nine. 
18, 9, and 10. Yeah, that may be it. We'll, we'll read it because it's close, but that's not the one I'm looking for. But it says, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet, all kinds of scented wood, articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. And so again, the point being is this, when it talks about the city of Babylon, it's talking about the entire world system. It's not talking about just the United States or just Rome or just uh, Saudi Arabia or Egypt. It's talking about the entire world system that operates on refusing to worship God and instead they worship all the things of creation. And that's where they put their heart's desire at. And Yep, yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, that's the one. Um, For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So again, there you're getting the whole world system, not just a single city, the entire world system. And I believe you've got that going on today. As a matter of fact, we're not there yet, but um, when we start looking a little bit deeper into this world religion, I really believe it's going to have something to do with this whole LGBTQ thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a homosexual basher. Listen, their sin is just a little different than mine, right? I mean, I have, I have, um, fleshly passions that, that don't manifest themselves in that same way, but are they any less sinful? No, they're not. And so I'm not standing up here trying to bash any one particular sin. But I am trying to say that I believe that every nation, what, what, when Sodom and Gomorrah continuously to degrade and go more and more downhill, what was the evidence of it? What did it ultimately end in? Just uh, sexual immorality in ways that, that we can't even describe to the point that Lot had to beg the men not to come in and molest the angels. Y'all remember that? And instead offered his own daughter to an entire city. What does that tell you about the sexual immorality of this place? And so every nation that you see that continuously goes toward the passions of their flesh, that's what it ultimately degrades to the point of. And so I truly believe that that's what you've seen happening that's what you saw happen in Rome, right? Same progress, same thing happened. That's the same thing you're seeing happening right now in the United States. And I know so many of us as Christians want to see the United States turn around and go back to God. Can I tell you that you, yes, you should keep fighting for that. Yes, you should keep uh, proclaiming and, and mourning over her sins. But can I also tell you that it's probably not going to happen? 
Can I also tell you that it's probably going to continue to go even more? Do you know that's why when, when the LGB first started, it wasn't LGBTQ plus minus um, apostrophe S. It was just LGB or LG and then LGB and then LGBT and then LGBTQ. And then you know why it continues to grow? Because sexual immorality continues to go in that direction. And so I believe the world system continuously navigates toward that. And I believe that's why he says here in 18 verse 3, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. What is your government, your president right now, what is the, the latest... Um, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Policies that he has just pushed forth. Somebody tell me. What's he want to do in your schools with your with your kids? So I mean, again, the kings of the earth, the leaders of the world are coming together with this same sexual morality and getting on board and supporting it and drinking of the same passion that the world system loves and wants to navigate toward. And then it says, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So again, what we're looking at here is that Babylon is the entire world system. And no matter what sin you're talking about, um, no, matter what, um, no matter what rebellion you're looking at that people do to push the ways of God off of them, Still, the fact of the matter is, is that if you're following this system, this angel is going to be flying overhead and this angel is going to be crying out, repent, the hour of judgment has come. And then another angel will be following behind saying, listen, if you continue to follow this world system, you need to understand something. It's fallen. There's no hope in it. You can, you can continue. I understand you have sinful passions. I understand that... that um, that, that, that everybody, you know, we are all beings that were made for, um, uh, for the most part for, for sexual relations, right? I mean, man and woman. And those, because of our sinful nature, a lot of times are expressed in ways that are not godly. And so what we have to understand is that all of us are prone to have those kind of, those kind of sinful desires. But we have to make sure that we're looking at the ways of God and we're repenting of those things and we're wanting to follow Him. Why? Because we know this world system is fallen. And we know that if we continue to follow this world system, go back to Rome, uh, Revelation chapter um, 14 again, verse 8. And another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now hold your spot there and go back with me to Romans 1 again. Romans 1 is probably one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, the entire chapter, because it explains the heart of man. It explains the, uh, the problem with us. In Romans 1, remember... We refuse to honor God. We refuse to, we refuse to give Him glory, even though we could see Him clearly in creation, right? We refused it. 
And notice what God did as a result of that. In verse 24 of Romans 1, what did God do? Gave them up to what? The lust of their hearts. He said, okay, if you don't want my ways, you don't want to follow me, you want to be in rebellion to me, guess what? Okay, let me show you what a world looks like when you follow the lust of your heart. You want to know why the United States is the way that it is? You want to know why it's going the path it's going? Because God has given mankind over to the lust of their hearts and He's not trying to force people to come back. Instead, He proclaims the gospel message that says, if you continue to follow this system, this is the result. But I'll save you. Turn away from it. Come back to me. Believe the gospel. Trust the gospel and I will save you. Not only that, go down with me to verse 26. Or actually start at verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So again, we wanted the creature rather than the Creator. Verse 26. For this reason, what did God do? Gave them up to what? Passions. And so, look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what did God do? Gave them up to what? To do what ought not be done. And so again, the problem with us is that we have impure lust, we have dishonorable passions, and those passions come from where again? In verse um, uh, Revelation 14, verse 8 again. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So with this world system, this entire world, we're so in love with it. We would rather have the world than the one who made it. And we're drinking of this same passion. And our only hope is that we hear the gospel. And then in verse 9 of Revelation 14, let's go to the, um, to the final angel, to the final message. <clears throat> it says here, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured in full strength into the cup of His anger, and He will be tormented with fire, sulfur, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So there again, what you have here is the message of judgment. So you had the message of the gospel. You had the message of the future of the world system. Now you have the message of the judgment that is coming for those that continue in the world system. And the world system will ultimately be led by a final king the Antichrist and his false prophet. And all who receive his mark, and all who receive the mark, whether it's on the forehead or whether it's on the hand, the fact of the matter is, 
If you continue to worship this false system, you need to understand something. Judgment is coming. And it is going to be torment day and night forever and ever. And the smoke of that torment never quits rising up. What's the point that he's trying to make right there? Huh? Repent or eternally suffer in torment for the consequences of your actions. And so we get back to verse 12. Here's the purpose of it. Here's why he tells us this. He says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. What does he mean by here is a call for the endurance of the saints? What does that mean? Here is a call. Don't turn, don't quit, don't play with the world. You turn your back on this world system and you set your eyes on God and you do not look back. Yes, it's a lot of passions that this old world has to offer, does it not? A lot of them. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, the ones who keep the commandments of God and keep their faith in Jesus. Keep your hope, keep your trust in Him so that no matter what comes this way, you do not turn away from it. I don't care what the world system looks like. I don't care how enticing it is. And that's why today's generation is so dangerous, especially in the United States, because we're we're navigating more and more toward a Sodom and Gomorrah nation. I'm not, and I know preachers have always said that in the past. But if you can't see it today, you don't have to look up here and say, "Well, that's just old crazy preacher." No, you. I don't have to convince you of that, or I shouldn't. You should be able to open your eyes and look at this world and understand that this world loves immorality. And it, 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 so today we've got so many Christians, so many believers that are being convinced that you can live however you want to. That you don't have to repent. That you don't have to, it doesn't matter if you, um, our culture today believes that there's nothing wrong with, with, um, sexual relations before marriage. There's nothing wrong with, um, with an open marriage. There's, there's nothing wrong with, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. So many of our, our children today are being taught up and trained by the world and by many churches that there's nothing wrong with sexual immorality. That God wants you to be happy. That's what God is more, most concerned about. When you read this, does it, do you think God's biggest concern is that you be happy? No. His biggest concern is that you repent that you repent and that you turn to Him and that you endure in the faith, that you endure in following God and your faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 13, He says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. So in other words, from the time that these angels start proclaiming this gospel from now on. I guess that's what it could. 
It could mean from now on as in John's time. I'm not sure. But here's the point. He says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Somebody give me an idea before I tell you what I think it's saying. What do you think he's saying right there? Okay. All right. Anybody else? Right. I would agree with that. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Is it difficult for you as a Christian to live in this world and stay true to Jesus? (laughs) It's a fight, ain't it? How many times do you fail at it? One of the greatest things about death for a Christian is that you don't have to fight and labor anymore the way that you did. When Paul got ready to die, he knew his time was coming. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have what? I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that He is going to give to me, and not only to me, but to all who love His appearing. And so one of the things that I see in this right here is He could be talking about everybody who dies from the time that John is writing this, back way back then. Everybody who dies as a Christian that's enduring as a saint and that's fighting the good fight, blessed indeed. Why? Because they have rested, what does it say? That's right. They have rested from their labors and their deeds follow them. And so there I believe that the encouragement for us is to understand that God is literally going to reward you based on what you've done in the body, whether it be good or bad, right? God is going to reward us. Now I'm not saying that we get into heaven by our works because we know we don't. (laughs) We can't. But you do know that the Bible does teach that you are going to give an account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, and that He is going to reward each one of them according to their labors. And so here I believe that's what He's talking about, is for the ones that have fought the good fight, for the ones that have kept the faith, for the ones that have that finished the race, they are able to rest from their labors and their deeds follow them. And now we stand before God and we're rewarded for the way that we served Him here in the flesh. So what do we do with this? What's the Lord saying to us tonight? Repent. (laughs) That's a good message, right? That's right. You know, I, I like that you said that. Quit playing with sin. Don't we need that message? Quit playing with it. Fallen is Babylon the Great. This world system is going to... Quit playing with it. Whatever you need to do in your life to turn away from sin. Because how many Christians today do you know that have just become... that have entered into agreement with sin? To say, well, I'm going to follow Christ, but I'm going to keep this sin in my life, and I'm going to keep this, and I'm going to do this. I know He's not okay with it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's pretty dangerous, ain't it? 
And so I believe that we would be wise to hear that message tonight. Repent, for the judgment of God is coming. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What does it mean? Repent means to turn away and then trust the gospel. Trust that Jesus has paid it all, but I'm turning away from this and I'm marching toward Him. And then what else do we learn from this? What else do we take away? That's right. That's right. Keep following Him. Keep doing, and if you want to know the commandments, go to 1 John chapter 1, chapter 2. You'll see there's only two commandments that, that we have. We don't have hundreds of commandments anymore. We've only got two. You know what they are? That's it. That's it. Keep the commandments of God. Keep the commandments of God and don't quit. Keep enduring all the way to the end.